Remember, I, I asked you to say a, a phrase with me a couple weeks ago. That was, I am his and he is mine. Remember, that was a part of the Christian life that we were talking about, that how do we put God on the throne of our life? And so we say that. If you're willing, would you say that with me this morning? I am his and he is mine. That's a trust relationship. That's, that's really an important factor of being a Christian is the trust. It's not, I, I, I don't want you to think I'm speaking against church or anything, but coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you a person that comes to church. <laughs> Christians come to church because they, they want to deepen their own life in Christ and or, and or help somebody else deepen that life in Christ. That's, this is the place where we gather to do that work and then, and then go out into the world to do that work as part of our Christian life. There are some others sometimes that just come to church. Last week, then, we talked about setting the longings of our hearts upon him. So not only is he on the throne, but we start to long after that relationship that we, in, in the way that we love our loved ones and and care for each other, we start to long after each other. Today, I'm going to be talking about the patterns of our lives and how we do that with the whole, the totality of our life. But before I do that, I wanted to uh, to read from you a book. This was, uh, how many of you know all the places you'll go? So, um, Alex liked uh, the, the Fox, Fox and Socks book. And, and uh, Luke can do that for me. And Marika loved this book. And I'm just going to read just a little piece of it because it kind of talks a little bit about our life here. And this is this is the picture. Can you see that very well? They're playing a game, and it's got lots of hurdles and holes and pitfalls in it and stuff. So this is the caption. Oh, the places you'll go, there'll be fun to be done. There are points to be scored, and there are games to be won. And the magical things you can do with the ball will make you the winningest winner of all. Isn't that what we really want in our, in our country, to be the winningest winner? How many of our, us are the winningest winner? We all are. Yeah, there you go. Fame. You'll be famous as famous can be with the whole wide world watching you win on TV. <laughs> Except when they don't. Because sometimes they won't. I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too, games you can't win because you'll play against you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. Some are some. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you will want to go home. It's, a, it's an interesting book. It's about the whole life, right? That you have victories and defeats in a life of faith, don't we? Um, however, some Christian circles sort of teach that if you're, that if you're in a down spot or, or things haven't gone quite right, that maybe you're doing it wrong and you need to fix that, that, that the Christian life is all peaches and cream, if you will. Have you ever heard that sort of thing? I, I, 
I, I shared in the first service, I've shared some of this stuff, my struggles with pain. One of the things that happened when I was going through a really rough spot is I had a lot of people praying for me. Now, some of them had this one particular conversation with me, and I can say that if I had it nine times, I had it eight too many. And so here's this conversation. So they come up and say, I'd like to pray for you. And so that's great. And we pray, and then they'd start the conversation. They start, well, did you feel anything? <laughs> and I developed an answer. This is the answer I developed for that. I said, yes, I felt loved. No, did you feel, do you still have pain? Are you healed? <laughs> yes, I still have pain. No, I wasn't healed. What's the sin in your life? <laughs> I, have, I have two questions for them. Why did they assume it was the sin in their life that was keeping their prayers from being answered? <laughs> right, that's a good point. That's a good question. Or perhaps maybe God's will wasn't there. See, the, the theology that says that Christians have to have a perfect life when they're not really Christians is a lie, and it actually imprisons a lot of people. So what do you do in your life when it's not perfect and everybody believes that your life has got to be perfect and you're not? You have to hide it, don't you? You have to bury it deep down. Or they ostracize you in some places. They kick you out. They make you not part of it. They're not doing it right. Well, that's a little bit of jail. It's a little bit of bondage in there for you that you've got to be right. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, uh, Adolf Hitler killed him near the end of World War II for, for trying to get rid of the bully on the block, which would be Hitler. But um, he, he said that, that in a church where everybody has to be perfect, you actually have no community whatsoever because everybody lives behind a facade. And if you live behind a facade, nobody actually knows who you are, and so you can't, you can't have a relationship with somebody that, you're not, that they're not ever real with you. Like they're living a double life and they only have them. That's a fake relationship. He would say actually that in the Christian church, that if we're only just saints, we always have to be sinners. We always have to have uh, a reason to know in our life in front of us that we need a Savior, that we always know we need a Savior, that when we always know we need a Savior, we're friendlier and more welcoming to others who also need a Savior because we're not always going, we're looking down our nose at them, right? Well, not going to do it right. See, that doesn't work. That's not a Christian love sort of thing. But we have to be people that know we're kind of broken. We have to have that... Here's your $5 word for the day. Ontologically, deeply set within us that, that deep down we need a Savior. Then, well, you've met, I met Jesus. Yes. And you met him, and now you know you still need him. And so does everybody else, and so you can be welcoming to those. And so, so I want you to know that, that as we get rid of our facades, that comes into this grasp of where we actually live in our life right now. And so I want to read Psalm 5 for you. Oh Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. That's, that's by the way, that's a signal that this is not only about the victorious life. 
Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my God and my King, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter into your house. I will worship at the temple with deepest awe. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, for my enemies will surely conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a word. A truthful word, their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. O oh God, declare them guilty. Let them get caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their, of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyfully, praise us forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord, and you surround them with a shield of your love. That's a gorgeous... There's two gorgeous lines I want you to to sort of cling into. and, And because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house and worship you in the temple with deepest awe. And then this one. You surround them with your shield of love. I want you to hold on to those two for a second. There's a little bit of stuff in here that's worth talking about, about a pattern of life, but not just a pattern, but a pattern of a whole and complete life. I want you to know that I know deep down inside me that the Christian life is not just victory. And you're not doing it wrong when things are going wrong in your life. You're doing it wrong if you don't trust in the Lord and let Him help you in those spots. And your life isn't wrong or off track necessarily because things have happened to you on earth. You live on earth. Things are going to happen to you. And not all of them will be super pleasant. Anybody here ever experienced something that wasn't super pleasant? Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. I thought I was going to say, not me. I've experienced some stuff that's not very pleasant. But here's the thing. God wants people that will set a pattern of their life of bringing their whole life to Him. Not just the blessings, but also the struggles. Not just the struggles, but also the blessings. In the first verse, or first or second verse, there's a, a, a little text in there that says, in the morning when I bring my prayers, the word prayer is not actually there in the Hebrew. It's a technical term that's only talked about the preparation for the sacrifice by the priest throughout the rest of the Bible. So in the same way as Anne, this week, or in two weeks, it would have been Jordan, they prepared and brought communion 
Now, they didn't offer communion to the whole people. They just came and they prepared it. It was one of those things. The priests in the temple, you know, they, they had the higher-up priest who did the offering. And then they had the priests that were in training who came and prepared it for them. And it had to be prepared just right. But they had to come do it and maybe not get the, the press release for doing the public thing. They just did all the preparation behind the scenes. In the morning when I prayed, doing the preparation for my life as it seems. In the morning when I pray, I'm bringing my life as a pattern to you. And, and this morning, things are not right, and so I'm going to groan a little inside. One of the things that I know about living with Christ in my heart and in my the Holy Spirit in my life is that when things are like that, the Holy Spirit comes alongside me, and you know what it does? It groans with me. Sometimes it groans and gives a voice to my pain when I don't have any way to do that from myself. And God just sits there with me and holds me and goes, ah, I don't like it either. But I'm with you. The shield of my love is with you in that moment. You are not alone in this you have a whole life. I, I want you to make sure that, that you don't get caught into this life of faith that says everything has to be perfect and you have to present yourself as perfect all the time. How many of you can present yourself as perfect all the time? Is there, how many of you have nobody around you that doesn't know the things you've done wrong? Okay, so this is why God gives us family. Family knows all our problems, don't they? And they love us. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. True relationship. This pattern. But there's two patterns presented in this psalm. There's this pattern of bringing yourself in prayer so that you can enter into the house and give praise to God. And there's this pattern of doing evil that's presented in the psalm. Do you remember that? They... Lord, help them get caught in their traps. As you make a path for me known, help me follow it. But Lord, if I have a pattern of sinning, do you notice that, that when I have a pattern of sinning, then often there's a bondage around it. There's some place that I'm in jail and I'm wearing shackles and I'm not free to do stuff. How many of you have had somebody do something to you that was clearly wrong and you've struggled to forgive them and every time you see them, you're inside and you see them and you go, there's a person that you And you, you know, your soul clenches up and your teeth are the outward expression of that. Right? That's your soul clenching. Your teeth. Your dentist doesn't like it when you do that, by the way. But your soul clenches up. Did you ever notice that? That's an expression of this pattern of, of a life of doing things badly or wrongly. There's an, ex, there's an example of this. It's a little technical, so I'm going to ask you just to grab the seat next to you and just pull out for just a second. All right, a little white knuckle airline. I know because all of you have just loved Amos and Hosea all your life. You spent all your time in them. Amos and Hosea are books written at the exact same time, and they're a picture of what a true priest of God does, a true representative. So in Amos, Amos is 
A guy, he, he, he's a fig tree dresser, right? What's that mean? He, he prunes fig trees. Right? That's a fancy job. And he was called from the south, from the southern kingdom, to go up into the northern kingdom and to prophesy. And when he got there, he, he ran into the high priest, Amaziah. And so I can, rather than just tell you the story, I'll read you that Amaziah thing here. Just so that you know that I'm not making this up. Right here in third Galatians. Oh, I'm sorry. And Amaziah said to, to Amos, O seer, you flee from this land and go back to Judah and eat your bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for this is the king's sanctuary. And it is the temple of the kingdom. And then Amos answered to Amaziah, and he said, Look, I, I was not a prophet and nor, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Right? I take care of trees, that's what I do. But the Lord took me from the following, from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go and prophesy to the Lord. Now, hear the word of the Lord. Now this is because Amaziah has told him to go away and not speak of God in the church. <clears throat> Think about that for a second. Don't do that here. You say, don't prophesy against Israel and don't preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up into the measuring line and you yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from this land. This is what a bad priest does. Everyone around it is challenged and sent into a bondage somewhere. Do you get that picture from that? Your wife's going to become a prostitute, your children are going to wear chains, and you're not going to get to live in the land you live in, you want to live in. Those are problems. But because of your behavior, this is going to happen to you. Now the reason it's important to know that Amos and Hosea are going at the same time is because Hosea is an example of what a true priest of God does. Do you know the story of Hosea? Hosea, go buy your bride out of prostitution. Her children will no longer be slaves. You will get to live in the land. That's the story of Hosea. The true representative of God releases bondages redeems people out of difficult places but the false priest puts them in jail that's why prosperity doctrine that everything in your life going is so dangerous it's a false priest it puts believers in jail they can't believe they're free because they keep being told they're doing it wrong and they have to go and be different and they get kicked out of their churches because they're not living up But the pattern that we live is a really big deal. Here's another little story. So years ago, I was on a golf course with a gentleman, and he didn't know I was a pastor until about the third hole. And and, and somebody came up, and I was on I was on the green with a group of people that didn't know I was a pastor. And they, Bruce, a friend, came up and says, "Hey, Pastor Dave, got enough sermon material yet?" Because he knew that people I was playing. <laughs> 
So I'll look at Kent or the golfers in the room. Ever been on a ever been on a golf course with people that, that will supply plenty of sermon material? Yes. So there's this gentleman, Bob, who was on the course. And and everybody in the town that knew him knew that if somebody was was not living it right, it was Bob. Who was defiantly not living it right. Well, anyway, Bob had been cussing a little bit, drinking out of his flask. It was only it was like ten thirty in the morning, so he was getting ready. And when he found out I was a preacher, he stopped cussing two out of every four words and started making it four out of five. Just to make sure I knew he was able. Right. Now I want to finish the story. Do I have enough sermon material? The answer I had at the time is exactly the case. No, I don't have to look outside of myself for sermon material. I got enough dick right here. I can look right here. I don't have to look at others. But doesn't it bother you when they cuss, says Bruce? Now, you know, pretty much people get to have whatever they want come out of their mouth. Now, after I get to know them a little bit, I, I will say, people get to have whatever they want come out of their mouth and be represented by that. Think about that for a second. Whatever comes out of your mouth tells people who you are. But Bob, Bob became a little bit of a project with me, and I want you to know that there's victory with that. Later in the year, I was playing with him, and, and he cussed me once, and he goes, oh, sorry, preacher. And, I mean, we, we were almost done. It had been like two hours. I mean, he was showing huge restraint. And I, and I just turned to him and said, Bob, I already like you. you know, I just, just be who you are. It's all good. We're all fine. And he, and he goes, uh, huh? Right? And I had found out that day that Bob's family wasn't coming in for Thanksgiving. The church we were in had a Thanksgiving meal. And I said to them, Bob, I know your family's not coming and you're a little lonely this year. Why don't you come on down to the church? Normally there's a fee. I'll just handle that for you. You just come. You know, next time I'm in a church, I'll be in a box. <laughs> right? Have you met these people in the golf course? Have you met them in real life? Have you met them in the grocery store? Here's the answer to that. Are you ready? This, I'm so glad God's given gives me a better width than my own with words in me. I said, Bob, why would you want your box in a church if you don't want to be there beforehand? <laughs> and he turns to me and goes, that's why I like you. <laughs> and he stopped in town. When he saw me walking, he'd stop in town and talk to me. didn't do that for anybody else. He was a project of mine, right? We were working on him. Just, right? We'll see if we can outlive the uh, storm and be a buttress against it. But the patterns that we live set people free if we're Christians. They can set people free to be who they are, or they can put them in bondages. Why is it important that we live a certain pattern? Well, let's ask yourself a question. If you're not happy with the church pattern now, what makes you think you're going to like heaven? What do you think we're going to do there? Right? If you don't, if you don't want to praise God with those people, and you don't want to come to church, what makes you think you're going to like them for eternity? It's going to go on a little longer than you know than this long-winded guy will spend today. Right? I just want you to know that the pattern matters, but the pattern matters not because 
of one thing or another. Remember the first little phrase that I wanted you to remember and just cling to? It is because of your unfailing love that we come into your presence. It's not the pattern that we live by that gets us into the household of God. It's Him. He offers us a gift and we accept the gift and we're in. The pattern matters about how we live that out afterwards and how we represent God and become part of His presence in the world where we set people free from their bondages. But that isn't how we get into heaven. That's not how we get to the phrase, I am His and He is mine. We get to that phrase because of His unfailing love that welcomes us into his presence. Now, not just into church to praise Him, but into His, into his family where His Spirit comes into us and out of it which we cry, Abba, Father. We are His children. That's what it means to be part of the household of God, to be His children, the heirs that inherit His Spirit. It's a big deal, isn't it? But it's not, it's not a deal that we come into and say, well, we only have to give part of our life to Him. I'll give my Sundays to Him, but Monday through Saturday, they're mine to do with whatever I want. That's not how that is. You are a whole person. Did you know that? You're not missing essential parts to life. You have life. Now, you might feel that part of your life is missing or that something's that the world stacked up against you, but guess what? You have a life. And it's a whole life, and that whole life can be offered to God. And, it, and, and because of His unfailing love and His shield about you, you get to come into His household <laughs> and be part of His family. You don't earn His favor with your actions, all those things, but you can make other people see His goodness. I want to be really clear about how you get into the kingdom of God. I don't want you to think that you have to earn that spot. It's not earnable. Just as your kids didn't earn their spot into your family and you didn't earn your spot into the family you were born into. Now, I don't know what those families were like. Maybe they weren't a cakewalk. Maybe they weren't super fun. But can you imagine going through the difficulties of life without the presence of God and doing it alone? I've done depression without the Spirit of God in me. I'm telling you, it's a much darker place than, than with Him. And so this pattern of life in the household of God, it matters. And so we make a pattern of and that pattern is, I am his and he is mine. My life is his. His life is mine. I am in his house. His house is mine. He, may, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, well, only the good part of your life can come in. The whole of your life can come in. And then he starts to make the path to coming into his life, into a deeper life, plain. That's in this psalm as well. Make your, your path plain before me so that I don't trip or fall. If I have this bad pattern in life, then if you notice, that's the reason why that bad stuff, we, we enslave ourselves, why, why our soul clenches is when we see that person that did something to us before and we go, 
like that. And they walk by and think of nothing of it. Who's in jail? Who's in jail? They're not. They're just blissfully on their way. But the pattern of their life matters because they will get caught in it. The pattern in our life matters because we're trying to stay on a path that gets us into a place where we can be ready for the coming kingdom. That we can be in his kingdom here, but he's got a coming kingdom. And those who take refuge in the Lord come into his kingdom with a shield of hope and faith around them. There's so much more to say, but isn't that amazing? We can walk with him through the difficulties of life. And he doesn't say, I sure wish you weren't going through that because if you weren't, then you could be with me. He says, look, I am with you in that spot. And when you're partying, he's with you there too. Don't forget that. He's with you there. But when you're in the difficult spot and he's walking with you, that's why that little poster with the footprints in the sand is such a big deal to Christians. When they read it, they go, well, where'd you go, God? He goes, well, I was carrying you there. That's why you don't see your footprints. You see only mine. So we have this pattern of life. We have our life as a believer. We have the Psalms which show us the growth from obedience to love through all 150 of them, through, through all these songs of lament and songs of abandonment. Do you know that Israel had a, had a history of singing songs of, where are you, God? But here's the little thing. You don't go, where are you, to somebody who's not there. You don't. Who's listening? You only cry out, where are you? I don't get it. Help me know your presence. That's what that's about. Help me recognize your presence in these deep, dark spots. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because your shield of love is about me. Now the other spot about that is don't pitch your tent in the valley. Don't set, a, don't set the foundation of your house in that dark spot. You might not always be there. You don't, you don't want that. But you set your foundation on the life in the Lord, and then that foundation helps you make it through those spots. 